by giving them back their joyous old gods. And that as a result of this worship, the barren island would burgeon and bring forth fruit in great abundance. What he did, of course, was to develop new cultivars of hardy fruit suited to local conditions. Well, of course, to begin with, they worked for him because he fed them and clothed them. But then later, when the trees started fruiting, it became a very different matter. And the ministers fled the island, never to return. What my grandfather had started out of expediency, my father continued out of love. He brought me out the same way, to reverence the music and the drama and the rituals of the old gods. To love nature and to fear it. And to rely on it and to appease it where necessary. He brought me up. He brought you up to be a pagan. A heathen, conceivably, but not, I hope, an unenlightened one. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. There's nothing to fear except God. Whatever that means to you. Listening to The Fear of God, a podcast exploring the intersection between Christianity and the horror genre. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another glorious episode of the Fear of God podcast. It is, in fact, episode number 55. With you right now is normal co-host, host. One day we'll figure out some proper titles there, Nathan Rouse. Typically with me is Reed Lackey, you know, kind of fellow co-host, um, just just all around good fellow. Uh, Reed, he, he, he gets himself in trouble sometimes. I'm like, dude, just figure out a way to stop getting in trouble. And, and he did. And he said he was going to do some sort of, some sort of ritual to be protected by the ejaculation of serpents. I don't know what on earth that means, but it, it has, <laughs> and I, usually, Usually with me is Reed, but October's coming. So he was saying something about needing to get a Halloween costume. And I, I don't know what this character is, but something about dressing as the salmon of knowledge. Like what? I don't know what that is talking about or a reference to. And, you know, just, just lastly, cause I just, it's just too much fun to stop now. Like usually with me is Reed, but like right now you guys can't see this, but he is straight up dancing naked, showing his trivial bits. I mean, it is, I don't know what. To make of what is happening, Reed. <laughs> this, this is this is already beyond the pale. <laughs> you wanted to watch this movie. Any, <laughs> you, next thing I know, oh my. I don't have a recovery plan for your nonsense. Like. 
of all of the things that you could have had me be doing. Ooh. Like, oh, I, you did. You did all, all the, the things. things. Evidently, oh man. Oh, you've got me things. as the new Lord of Summer so, Isle. Good Lord. There you go. Oh, so what does the man. maple represent, Reed? I'm not talking Tell to you us. about that here. Uh, you'll start a quivering with cleanness. I'm not gonna. Do- <laughs> not gonna talk to you about the maypole right here mayday mayday oh man <clears throat> no so so welcome wow. to the show reed you took long enough to get here a, man i was a little, a while. little detained we were yeah, all waiting i was a little detained i had to uh, escape out By the back of, of a, things yeah i had to uh, <laughs> escape out the backside of some uh, some big you know burning man but uh yeah I, i'm here i made it I'm, I'm I'm all right. Everything's fine. You Everything's did. fine. You're uh, not none the worse for wear. So, <laughs> goodness gracious! In case anyone has no clue, and it is quite possible <laughs> that people wouldn't like, we are whew, trying today. It's going to be a difficult one um, <laughs> to to talk about the 1973, right? 73. Yeah. Um, the Wicker Man. The Wicker Man. Uh, not to be confused with the. Nicholas Cage version from 2007. That, that um, movie is horrible. The Nicholas the Nicholas Cage one is awful. So did you did you end up watching that thing I sent you? Oh no, I didn't. I, I have to. Yeah, I have to okay, tag we'll, in and watch we'll, it. We'll, po- we'll we'll post it on the Facebook. There is. I, I haven't seen the Nicholas Cage version because no. I didn't know anything about it before you said watch it. Well, someone has made a fake trailer of the Nicholas Cage version. I mean, it's using existing footage from that film, but as like a a bumbling comedy sort oh, wow. of version it's it's really funny and and actually is a little startling that some of the things that are in the trailer are actually in the movie and the movie is itself not a comedy so uh, yeah, yeah it's an accidental one so. for sure because it's not yeah it uh yeah the this this version of the wicker man so the remake is just terrible but this film is wonderful i i think i mean it's yeah we'll have a wealth of time to talk about my feelings and thoughts on the 1973 wicker man but yeah i i think it's fantastic so so before we get too far ahead of ourselves before we before we dance to you know frolically around the maypole um as we as we typically do read and this is appropriate for this at least the tone of some of this movie i just gotta know my friend oh what you watching mm-hmm. oh, what you reading oh. what you listening to oh. what you listening to that was a mess. Yeah, it was a. In the moment, <laughs> I was like, sloppy. I wish I had done that in like as like an Irish sort of. <laughs> oh, what? What you watching? What you reading? What you listening to? Something like that. That's you know? the one we're using right there. <laughs> this little blooper that you just. What you watching? What you reading? <laughs> I should be part of the chieftains. Oh, faith and begotten. Oh. What should be watching, reading, listening to today? Yeah. You know, it's funny in the spirit of that. So what I have been listening to, I don't know if you knew this just happened, but uh, the band U2, who happened ah, to be Irish, um, just released a brand new single today. Oh. Wow. Um, the, day of the, the day of this recording, at least. Was it today or yesterday? It might have been yesterday. Um, but a but brand still. new single called You're the Best Thing, Ab- You're the Best Thing About Me. And wow. they're they singing it to you, Reed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Brand new U2 single. It's good. I like it. Um, I feel a little annoyed because I'm worried that I spent a bunch of money to go to the Joshua Tree tour. And even in the midst of it, thought 
this feels like a stopgap kind of tour. Uh, I think they probably have some new stuff they're about to release, but it's they're they're getting older, and you never know when one of them might get injured or die and stop touring. Wow. So you kind of have to take advantage. And so, yeah, here they are releasing new music. And I'm like, of course, you're probably about to announce a tour and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, new YouTube music. That's what I'm listening to. Well, nice. Nice. I'm glad. Um, so uh, something that I don't think I've mentioned to you yet. Maybe I did. I can't remember. But um, I've now seen the entire first season of Glow on Netflix. Oh, yeah. You did not mention that. Um, and and oh, I. OK, so the first two or three episodes, I wasn't quite sure how I felt about it. I was like, where's the show going? Sure. I'm not sure. sure how I feel about the main characters and, and, but they started to intertwine some plot threads. They started to pay off some character beats. And by the, by the final episode, I was thinking this is really strong. Like I really like this story. I yeah, like these characters. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. And, fun. um, and I, I really, uh, I, I can remember the first time there's an episode in the, in the feed called live studio audience. Now I started really sort of gathering up a lot of affection for it before this episode. But I remember when I watched that episode, I sat back after the end of it and I was like, I, you know, told myself to the room around me because I was alone. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I sat back and I was like, OK, I really like this show. Like, I'm in. I, I, I really enjoy it. Uh, so I'm excited to see where they go next. I is, that, is that the final episode? Live studio no, audience? no, no, no. Live, st- live studio audience is about episode seven. And then they do, you know, it, it, it culminates in a glow performance right. but um but that sure. but yeah uh it was live studio audience was the first time they were not being televised but they did put on a show uh and uh yeah it, it it's it's great i think the show is really really cool and i dude i even went and, allison brie is bonkers talented oh yes she is yeah and well i felt like the entire cast was really yes, really strong. yes 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 um mark Marin, who had never seen in yeah, anything he was great he's great in this right um so yeah, I was I was really taken with it uh, in in total in general, but I also found it so fascinating that I went there's another documentary on Netflix about the real Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling and it's a documentary um, which I have not watched yet. Yes. Okay, you should check it out. It's pretty brief and having seen the show, you'll be surprised at how many authentic callouts they do. I mean, obviously they fictionalize the events yeah. and all of the characters are fictionalized, but uh, it's, it's surprisingly poignant and I really enjoyed That's it a cool. lot. Yeah. You should check it out. It's pretty, I think it's only like an hour and 15 minutes. And so, yeah, but it's, it's very good. If you had any affection for that show at all, uh, I would highly recommend that documentary as well. So that's what I've been spending time watching. I've been catching up with the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. Well, Hey, you know, you could, you could have worse company, I suppose. <laughs> That's um, true. Well, I mean, do you have anything else? No, no, I'm good. So that has been uh, yet another edition of of what you're watching, what you're reading, what you're listening to. Ah, <laughs> oh, faith and vigori. Me Blarney Stone. Me Blarney Stone on the maypole. They're always after me, lucky charms. If they have any Irish listeners, they have just trashed their iPod right now. They've smashed it up. They've sent it off to Notre Dame to get run over. I don't get it. <laughs> so Notre Dame or the today, Fighting Irish? Today, you don't get that? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I, but it was just a really, really, really specific. Um, I like how you're like, <laughs> uh, you don't get the sports reference, Nathan. You know me, I'm a sports guy. You know, I drop sports references all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like you struck out on that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> Looks like you fumbled that ball. All right, all right. Nothing wow. but air. <laughs> 
No more. No more. So today we are talking about The Wicker Man from 1973. And like I watched this movie and what I wrote down was actually I used a bad word, so I won't say it. But I was like, this is some psychedelic. This is some psychedelic stuff. And I think I love it. <laughs> and now now bear in mind, a lot of these feelings were before the very end of the movie. So bear that in mind. <laughs> and in fact, what I said was. If Austin Powers had a baby with an X-File, it would be the Wicker Man. <laughs> Followed by, that's not your mother, that's a Wicker Man, man. Oh, my like gosh. I do like that's it. Good. That's That's great. That's so funny. Do you want to know another Austin Powers deep cut? <laughs> what? Do I'm going to throw a trivial bit at, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw a trivial bit at you here, like right at the start. Okay. Because I love how much this movie made me think of Austin Powers. And then when I was doing my research... Michael York, who plays Basil Exposition in the Austin Powers movies, was yes. offered the part of Howie in this movie and turned. Oh Ill. yes, I think I did see that. Yeah, because he was a he was a prominent British actor at the time, and uh, yeah, that's that's funny. I think I remember that somewhere deep in the recesses of my of my brain. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean this 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 film in general. I do have I do have one major uh, trivial bit, but it's actually un slightly unrelated to the film. So I'll I'll, I'll say this sort of leading up to it. My first time watching this film, I didn't know what to think. Like I, I was sitting sure. there, like, "Oh, this this film is gets a lot of accolades in the horror community." Uh, I was already an adult; I think I was in my twenties. But I watched it, and I was just like, "Oh, this is this Phew. is strange." I'm. I don't. I'd be. I'd be really. I mean, knowing your knowing your history with the horror genre, it's it's a really good thing you didn't watch this movie when you were eight or nine or ten. You know, I mean, it's, goodness gracious! Otherwise, I'd be <laughs> shipping off to some strange pagan community. <laughs> sure, that's that's what I was trying to say. Um, go, <laughs> we'll go with we'll that go one. with that. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. Uh, so, um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, obviously, when we and we'll talk about this at length, I'm sure, but. When we get to the end of the film, uh, it it haunted me to a large degree because I wasn't quite sure exactly how to feel about it all or what to think about it all, and um, and so it wasn't until after some processing and some further thought uh, that I really understood how I felt about the film and what I thought the film was trying to do. And at that point, uh, I loved it. I thought I thought the film was really tremendous. Um, I understand why some people who come to it the first time and are maybe expecting or hoping for a different landing for the for the narrative um, might be a little as disturbed or upset by it. But yeah, I love, love, love this film. My only trivial bit is actually related to Christopher Lee. So um, Christopher Lee obviously plays Lord of Summer Isle in this film, uh, the leader of a heathen pagan community. And... It's interesting because the personal beliefs of Christopher Lee uh, have been debated and speculated on for years and years because of how many times he portrayed a pagan or an occult leader in a film or some sort of monstrous character. And that debate continues to a degree after his passing. But there was an interview that was made just a few years before he had passed away in which he said something that I really latched on to. He was asked point blank about supposedly all these occult books that he had and all these, uh, you know, supposedly he was rumored to have had volumes and volumes of occult literature. And he jokingly said, like, that's not true. I'd have to live in a bath if I had that many books in my house. That's not that's not at all true. But then when when asked, like, was he ever involved in the occult? 
His response, this is a quote, he said, I certainly haven't been involved, and I warn all of you, never, never, never. You will not only lose your mind, you'll lose your soul. That was the end of the quote. Wow. And that was that was as close as we that I can find. That was as close as we can publicly find of him articulating sort of his thoughts on belief and religious thought in general. We know that he was a devout, avid fan of the Lord of the Rings books, which they obviously right, right, are right. steeped in Catholic ideology. J.R.R. Tolkien being a devout Catholic, so and he was uh, an avid. Uh, rabid fan of the Lord of the Rings books, but I'm not going to do any speculation on that. Well, sort of you thing. know, you know what's funny about that, and always stru- has struck me as sort of sad in the rear view. <clears throat> One, I know that because I'm a fellow nerd and watched the volumes of back matter, you know, extra material on two months of our life. Lord of the gone. Rings yeah. releases. Well, I don't know. Those are, that's great material, so I don't consider that a loss. <laughs> but, um, but you know, he he can speak. And the black speech of Mordor, the one ring phrasing, you know, yes, um, yes. but he, he was always, he was disheartened to not be offered Gandalf uh, because yeah. of his affinity for the material. And I think the producers at the time were worried because of his, because of his oeuvre in terms mm-hmm. of what he's played on, in, on screen audiences yeah. would have a harder time buying him as the benevolent figure, um, yes. which hear me. I, he's a, he's amazing. as Saruman. I think, I think it's a wonderful role. I hope that he grew to love that casting for himself. Sure. You know, in as sure. much as he may have been remiss to not be Gandalf, but you know, that, that was my, I'm, I'm a little ashamed to admit that was my entry point to his career was, was the Lord of the Rings stuff. Oh yeah. No, I understand. I mean, I, now I will say, I'll give uh, a shout out to all of his work. We have a few, uh, we mentioned the hammer films where Christopher Lee frequently played count Dracula and he, he was a fascinating, charismatic, a powerful actor, just a profound actor, but he cited the wicker man as one of his very favorite films. I think a couple of times he cited it as the favorite film that he'd ever been in. He was so passionate about being in this film, he did it for free. He did the film for free, and he would promote it every single opportunity he had. We're talking, there were people who were surprised to find him doing interviews on public access television about The Wicker Man, because any time he got an opportunity to promote or talk about the film, he would talk about it. So he was deeply involved in its I promotion. Did, I did, through my research, know that he had agreed to no pay for the film because he was so passionate about it. And, and actually, that was because he was trying to pivot away from the Hammer stuff. But mm. but also to to further what you're stating, he would I, I presume this is probably for early screenings or whatever, would buy seats for theater goers. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. 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 That's incredible. What, uh, what other sort of trivial bits do you have? Uh, that's I, I wanted to sort of keep things kind of kind of focused and tight. The uh, So I wanted to talk a little bit about Christopher Lee, but we can dive right into the text of the film if you want. Oh, well, friend, I have trivial bits. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do actually have a couple of bits to share. Um, so one, uh, there's like there were like a bunch of cuts of this film. Did you read this? Yeah, yeah, differing lengths and and differing editions, uh, further speeches, et cetera, et cetera. Well, and uh, I love how dismissive you are of that. Like, 
you know, I was like, hey, did you read this? And you're like, oh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't feel the need to mention that one. I don't know. But I, I thought, I thought, I thought it was interesting in light of our descent conversation. Now I'm very hyper aware of knowing if there are other <laughs> kinds of films. I'm, but, I'm um, careful now. If I, I, I watch the theatrical cut, unless, <laughs> and if I decide that I'm going to watch a different cut or if I think I'm watching a different cut, then I'm going to let you know beforehand. There will be no more descent surprises well, if I can help it. Interesting. Interestingly, um, it seems that there were lengthier versions. So, so oh, crap, I don't have the, the production team in front of me, but the director had Robin Hardy. done an early cut. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Hardy had done an initial cut that for whatever reason, oh, he submitted it to Roger Corman. So it was a 99-minute cut. He submitted it to Roger Corman to get ideas for distribution in the States. Sure. Corman suggested cutting cutting about 13 or so minutes, which happened. Well, ultimately, that that director's cut of Hardy's has never seen the light of day to the right. point that in 2013, I think they tried to Facebook kind of crowdsource. Does anyone have access to this old footage? Yeah. yeah. Um, but interestingly, apparently of that initial material, it included more Howie backstory and kind of off Island information. Mm, mm-hmm. And it's interesting to learn that because truthfully, and we can talk about some of this in likes, dislikes, I feel like that would have helped me uh. because in his entry to the movie, again, if you have no idea what you're watching, which I didn't, he, he, at that point in time might as well just be a non entity, a non character. It's like, okay, is this, is this an important character? Or is this just kind of a guy entering a story? Like, like right, you just right. don't know anything about him. And I think that would have been helpful. So, so yeah, I mean, that was, that was kind of, the, the last of the bits that I had to share. Yeah, it would, I, it'd be really nice if we could ever get a definitive, a definitive version of, of this. I don't know. It may be, it may be lost forever, but yeah, it really, I know that there was an, a, an, an edition released to DVD, I think by Anchor Bay that was called the final cut, but I don't think it included yeah. all of the lost footage that, um, that they had tried to recover. Um, but yeah, yeah, Howie is an interesting character. So uh, one one of the things that we can li- dive right into likes dislikes. So like I, I think my first uh, thing that stood out to me most about the film is the interplay between the two religious faiths. So we have the scene in the film where it's it's flashing back and it's showing Sergeant Howie, uh, you know, reading from the Gospels about the Eucharist and receiving communion, um, and then of course. At the very end of the film, we have what would be considered by these pagan people to be a sacrament of sorts. It's a right, a, right. a, a rather horrific one. But so, but but it one of the things that I, I it goes beyond like it's into love, and I'm I'm not going to say much more about it than this singular statement because it'll come up again in themes. But the film takes religious belief very very seriously. And I respect and love that about it. It's one of the things, one of the biggest things I love about the film is how seriously it takes religious belief. Um, And we'll talk about that more in themes, but it it stuck out to me so much in this viewing that the film definitely does take seriously the beliefs of its people, of its characters. Sure, sure. And well, this is the first time I had seen it, so I really had no anchor point whatsoever um, and, and knew literally nothing about it. So for me, the likes, dislikes start with the two word phrase that I have exclamation pointed twice that just says Christopher Lee. <laughs> I, I didn't know he was in it, you know? Oh you, yeah. You had, yeah. 
you had you, you had given me ample warning. Hey, don't read anything, and I I didn't watch yeah. a trailer or yeah. read a synopsis or anything, and um, and so didn't know anything about the cast, knew nothing. Um, for me, another because uh, you know it it would seem there might be a couple of different edits of this out there and and who knows exactly which version each other saw but again knowing nothing about the movie so christopher lee's name shows up in the credits well then the music kicks in and 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 by that i simply mean the at that point very early when he's on approach to the island sure just the score the score itself it's got this lovely kind of irish reel sort of feel to it oh yeah um and then the singing happens and dude like I was swept up in it to the point that the ending was really jarring for me. Um, <laughs> if you don't know that's coming. Yeah. Um, and it, honestly, what it reminded me of, and I wrote this down was it's, um, where is it? What's the language I use that it's uh, a twisted waking Ned divine. Uh, do you remember that movie? Yeah, I do. You know, it's been years I love since that I've movie seen so it. Much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, but you know, it just has this, this, this little, lovely little feel to it and little vibe to it. So sure. as the movie gets deeper, and things get a little wonkier you're like okay this is a little sideways but whatever they're all happy and naked and then it's like oh god oh man they're a little more than oh no (laughs) right 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 (laughs) yeah i mean there's so many songs in this movie it's practically a musical i'm not being facetious like i know every every three minutes somebody starts singing about a tree or fertility or whatever it is um well a a, a random trivial bit to throw in that i didn't do at the top so a gentleman named seamus flannery in a subsequent documentary to the movie turns out uh, hardy the director surprised the cast by announcing midway through filming that they were making a musical <laughs> so i mean like you know yeah it is it is effectively a musical yeah in in many many ways so yeah but i like you i think that that really draws me in every time because it feels yes. automatically very warm yes and and inviting and yep. and engaging just the way just the way paganism is brother it just invites you it invites you in it it, it struts its stuff in a lascivious manner and you're like wow. no wow uh, well it, yeah it's, yeah it, it's funny because the whole community is aligned in this religious belief so so all of the, uh, the, the uh, Lord Summer Isle says it, Christopher Lee says it, we're a deeply religious people, to which, of course, sure. Sergeant, Sergeant Howie balks at like, what are you talking religious people? You don't have any churches. You don't have any. And we'll get to this more right. in themes. But he's like, what do you mean religious people? But uh, Christopher Lee's character means it. He means it seriously. He's not being facetious or ironic. He's like, no, we're a deeply religious people. It's just not in the framework that Sergeant Howie is used to thinking of religion because he's so... He's so right, engrossed right, in right, in Catholicism right. or or even I don't think it ever specifically says whether it's Catholicism or, or maybe one of the other liturgical branches of Protestantism like Lutheran or Episcopalian. But um, but regardless of that, he's very steeped in Christianity. And sure. so to that end, the, the last sort of like dislike I have and then I we can move into scares unless you have more is uh, the conversation between Sergeant Howie and Lord Summerisle, when they're just in his place in in Lord right, Summerisle's right. home, watching it, th- and I know you, I don't know how much impact that moment had on you not knowing where the film goes, but me knowing where the film goes, having seen it before, I found that to be one of the most thematically rich and provocative scenes I've ever seen dealing with debating religion. 
like competing religious ideologies. Right, right. Is that is that when uh, Lee says your God is dead yes, or something like yes. that? Is that the scene you're he, talking about? He says yeah, yeah. he had his chance. He calls himself. He says, "Well, I'm a heathen, certainly, but but I hope not an unenlightened one." You know, like there, there's right, some right. there's some great quotes in in that scene in that exchange. Um, so yeah, it's 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 really provocative, and it's kind of uncomfortable the first time you watch it, but it's. Uh, yeah, it's it's a powerful scene, a, a wonderfully written scene, a very complex uh, and provocative scene, and I, I loved it this time around. I thought it was really really effective. Um, I've got a few other a sure. few other uh, frivolous likes dislikes, and then one not quite so frivolous. Um, I said I want to go to that post office. And it just had all <laughs> the chocolates in it. It's like it just looked again. When you don't know where the movie's going, you're like, oh, these people are I want so visit. and happy, and they're singing, and they're naked, and they're oh, doing right. it on the lawn, and they got chocolate in the post office. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's like the happiest place on oh, earth. Oh, my God. Um, that, it is funny, the scene you referenced just now, not specifically the God is dead line, but when when Summerall is walking him through the sort of grounds, and he's talking about his his agrarian grandfather or whatever he is. Uh, honestly, and you'll, this will resonate with you. I was like, this is like the Dharma initiative, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. Namaste. I, I wrote down, right, right. I wrote down, I do love from a sort of, sort of screenwriting standpoint. I love that the phrase or the reference to the wicker man is not spoken until the end. Oh yes. Um, yes. because again, if you know, if you don't know the sort of ritualistic history of this and what it represents and all that sort of stuff, you're still like, I don't quite know where this is going. And so they really play that card in a real uh, savvy way. Yeah. Um, Uh, Yeah. I think the first time that the words are, I think you're right. The first time the words are ever spoken is when he says, um, it's time for your appointment with the wicker man. Like, and that's the, and and it's like, wait, what, what? It's when, it's when, it's when the, the curtains finally getting drawn back of what's happening. Summerall tells him we, we brought you here. Oh my gosh. It's so uh, terrifying terrifying which is probably a great transition into scares i for a film as jaunty and kind of like light-hearted as this film is we've already talked about like the first you know hour and 20 minutes of the movie uh there's a surprising number of scares that i had written down this time around so i i have four or five here i don't know how many uh you have written but two the so the first one that i have written down is and i'll say this (laughs) we've been a little jokey this episode but sincerely the the scene of the landlord's daughter dancing naked next door while he's like struggling to pray, struggling to kind of right. collect his thoughts. Get it. That's a haunting scene. Like, and, and I'm I'm not being facetious in any way. Like, it's it's sure, a dis, sure. it's a disruptive scene because you're sitting there like, what is going on? She's like, she's hitting her fist against the door, against the wall. She's a couple of times looking directly into the camera, and then it keeps cutting back and forth to him. And and I'm like, what is what is happening right now? And it develops this. Here's what it elicited in me. I know of, I knew, of course, where the film was going, but this is what it brought out in me is there was a strong sense of foreboding and the immediate recognition that Sergeant Howie is out of his depths and in serious trouble. That was the that was the, the moment when sure, it's like, OK, sure. that's the first moment as a viewer knowing where the film goes. That's my first real clue. Like he is out of his league. He does not know. What's going on right here? Because he can't even keep it together while this woman's right. dancing next door. Like it, it it's very uh, foreboding is the word that I used. Well, all I could think 
during that scene was god i hope my wife doesn't walk in because i had no idea what this movie had in it sorry and i actually thought no no i'm just i'm being jokey but but it was this moment where i wanted to text her and be like hey if you walk in just letting you know this is a movie about a weird sex cult okay <laughs> i'm just letting you know this is not just some random whatever oh, um funny. but but yeah that was a funny yeah. scene i mean uh, uh, an odd scene really. sure, sure um to to me I'll, I'll i'll rattle off my two real quick and then sure, you can run sure. with your rest um I feel like in general, here's the thing. I'm, I'm actually going to double back on a, a, on a mild dislike that feeds into the scare. So okay. never having seen the movie, being so swept up in the warmth and as you use the word inviting tone up front. Yeah. I was like, Oh, we're off on a little adventure. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to, we're going to have a grand old time on, on the summer isle. You know, I, I really, gory. right. I, 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 I didn't know where it went i didn't know what the through line was and to the point that read halfway through the movie i'm like i know this is in the horror genre uh, like, right, i know right and right. something is gonna happen somewhere i don't know what and clearly it's not just creepy weird sex people right, or right, whatever right. so in that spirit i almost felt like and maybe as we discussed in trivial bits with with the the volume of cuts that are out there i don't know if mine was was dissimilar or whatever but like almost tonally it was almost it was harder it was harder to engage once it got really serious mm, okay because not even because it was a super sharp turn but and and hear me this is all speaking from a single viewing sure sure um i i do think with a repeat viewing knowing kind of where the movie goes i'm going to be paying att- more attention to Howie, the character, sure. and sort of his backstory and that sort of stuff. And, and the, the, the juxtaposition Hardy makes with him and the cult itself. But I don't know. I, I felt like, and again, what I'm saying is this is a little bit of a dislike, not in a way that knocks the film per se, but in a way that affects your, uh, your viewing of it. Right, like right. the experience of watching the movie, it is hard to, honestly, the, um, it's hard to take it seriously mm. because it's a bunch of singing and dancing and, 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 you know, frolicking. Like, sure. Right. Right. So that when it does start to get serious, it's like, Oh, what is, Oh no. Yeah. They're stuffing him in a straw man and burning him alive. I did, Okay. Yeah. Um, anyway, so, so all that leads into the fact that what I'm trying to set up here is I didn't have a ton of quote unquote scares. There were a couple once, once the tone really starts to reveal itself. Um, specifically one, I said the hand of glory is really freaky and gross. That's on mine. Yes, um, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Oh, the the only uh, honestly the only other one that actually was effective like really like okay this is creepy um was the animal masks when he's trying to leave yeah i had that written down too yeah that oh okay. my gosh yeah, them yeah. rising up behind the wall and there and it's yes. like what is about to happen good lord uh <laughs> i love i love uh again i know nothing of the nick cage version except this fake trailer i saw but he's in like a bear costume it looks utterly ridiculous it looks so stupid and he punches someone in a bear costume it's so stupid yes um and that was just from a one and a half minute fake trailer anyway so it's much more it's much more effective in the 73 version (laughs) yes um so i i had both of those mentioned myself taking it back to something that you said a second ago hard to take it seriously so this is what I this part I don't, of, and, and hear me. I don't mean that it really is a slide. No, 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 no. I know. Experience. No, yeah. I totally understand. Here's why I think the movie is brilliant. You as a, I felt the same way the first time I saw it too. You as the viewer are feeling what Sergeant Howie's feeling. 
Right. Like you're feeling what he is going through of like, what, what's up with these people? These people are ridiculous. Like it, it's very much is like, oh, these silly, quirky, whatever people. So to the degree that in your phrasing earlier, when the curtain gets drawn back, you're kind of bowled over the same way he is where it's just like, what? Wait, what? Like these people were all plotting and scheming and this has been a conceit the entire time like like the whole reason I'm here the whole re- like the whole ruse of Rowan being dead and missing and like all of that was just to draw me here I mean it is it's alarming it, it's alarming to a strong degree and so I had the ending you know the, the whole final sequence as one of my scares which for obvious reasons and we'll get into it more in just a moment uh, but the other thing that I had was just the the final shot creeped the crap out of me because in this viewing uh, you know not intentionally calling out to Christopher Lee's Lord of the Rings connection but the sun in the final shot looks like this big eerie glowing eye like it, it looked to me like you know the clouds are kind of forming what right. would be the the curvature of the eyelids around it and it looks like this this big glaring eye and it really creeped me out <laughs> to be honest it's a it's a very haunting and effective final sequence leaving you uh especially on first viewing but leaving you really unsettled and and deeply disturbed and that's why i think it's such an effective horror film because it doesn't depend on jump scares right oh you know no not at all i do love that scene where summer al puts his hand in the white paint and and puts his hand on howie's head and he's like whom do you sell oh my gosh oh and howie's like Saruma. And then when they when they were like went up to the top of that tower and then uh you know like Christopher Lee's got that right. big you know that big uh, uh headdress on or whatever and he looks down and all the trees right. all the trees come alive and they start like walking I know. towards I was the like how then, is this a thing? I know. Like, but then you saw all the dwarves that ran in at that point, right? Right, right. Followed right. by that And like Summer Owl has everything. Yeah. They've got tantric dancers dwarves and moving trees like yeah i mean it's it's you know what i love you know what i love about this moment is one just that you're my friend but two (laughs) when i when i made the reference to the white paint in the hand and you're like oh yeah i was like dang reed are you am i really about to get one up over on you i'm gonna keep going just in case but then you picked it up and ran with i was like that's my boy that's my boy well anymore your uh your illusions and jokes don't surprise me your your glass moment was about the only one you get it, okay i'm letting you know it's about the only one you get. um you're on alert um so no but but seriously yeah the um that that final shot just creeped creeped the heck out of me um unless you had any anything more pertinent to say well, let's dive right into themes because man there's a wealth of things that we could talk about in this movie um did you i'm gonna throw to you first did you, i have a few that are all sort of wrapped together that could easily bleed like into one big one did you have any specific things or ways you wanted to approach the theme in this particular conversation if not i'll lead out well i mean i you know i i don't have a fully so the movie kind of threw me in in a way like you know as the movie it sort of um makes me think of the experience of night of the hunter how Mm -hmm. you start and in a first viewing you're like, oh, okay, I'm gonna, I'm, these themes are sort of coming out to me, and, and, and this is, looks like where it's, and then it's like, oh, you just made a complete left turn that I was not anticipating. Right. Now the themes I have are a little moot or a little less 
sort of what I thought they were. Um, so, so a lot of these ideas are born more of where the movie is in the first kind of two thirds or so. Sure, sure. Um, I mean, there is this, oh, you know what? This is a fun little preface here because, because something that really was interesting to me, <laughs> this movie may be stating in a way that I don't like that I shouldn't quite be this generous, maybe, but, <sighs> And, and again, it's interesting because I do think it's possible you and I watched slightly different cuts in a way because I don't, Howie did not have the gravity to me that I, I sort of, the, that the movie ultimately gives to him. Mm-hmm. Like my experience of watching Howie's journey through this movie was not one of deep gravity and, and it was just kind of, okay, this guy's just kind of entering these people's story as opposed to him having a very rich unique story of his own that's now colliding with theirs. Right, right. Which I which I do see is is more like probably if I watch it again, that's what's going to present itself more more substantively. But so it was interesting to me because much of the movie I sided with them. Mm, yeah, I mean yeah. chocolates in the post office. Sure. You know, happy time happy time on the lawn. Right. You know, like I mean uh I'm I'm joking there, but <laughs> like I because he comes off as very uh condemning and judgmental in a fashion that i that i get turned off to sure of of people of faith in the modern world you know um like what i wrote down was this line that he barks i think at samurai or maybe it's at the headmaster the headmistress he says you are the subject of a christian country Yes. And I thought, oh, my gosh, shut up. You know? <laughs> right, 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 right. I get <laughs> which, it. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Which really reveals a lot about my attitude <laughs> these days. But um, <laughs> so I want to insert into this little thread here because it feels like the movie where it lands really, really pulls the rug out from under the the indictment I felt towards him. Ah, yeah. And mm. b- because because here's what I wrestled with was I am not ready as a person of faith. I am not ready to say you people are wrong Mm. and you are, you are in the wrong. You should repent or you're going to burn, turn away from your wicked ways. You are wrong. I'm not ready to do that Mm. Mm -hmm. Uh, because I do believe in a non coercive version of, of loving and of, and of bringing people into the kingdom. So, right. But the end of the movie really challenges that because it's like, uh, no, uh, by the way, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you don't, if you don't, if you don't wag the finger in a in a challenging fashion, or maybe even if you do, you're still going to get burned to a crisp. Interestingly, in my research on the film, I inadvertently initially went to just the Wikipedia page for Wicker Man, not the movie, oh. but like the phenomenon. Oh, okay, and. Felt like what I sort of saw on there was kind of honestly made me heartened me a little bit because what it said was interesting. It says contradicting the Roman sources, more recent scholarship finds that there's little archaeological evidence of human sacrifice by the Celts Mm. upon whom much of the cult that the movie deals with is 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 based template. Right. 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 and suggests the likelihood, this is fascinating, that Greeks and Romans disseminated negative information out of disdain for the barbarians. Mm-hmm. There's no evidence of the practices Julius Caesar described, apparently talking about human sacrifice by the Celts. And the stories of human sacrifice appear to be derived from a single source of whose claims are unsupported. Wow. 
I just, I That's right. I just found that really. I know, I know. I found it really fascinating because, and I'm not, I'm not wagging a finger at the movie because likely this is new oh, academic sure. oh, research sure, or sure. whatever since in the last forty years. But you know, clearly the movie is making a very specific use of this sort of maybe factual, maybe not factual, historical sort of thing sure whereas and, and so that's what i'm saying the movie really challenged me who says okay howie loosen up buddy right um right. and who then gets you know uh toasted but it is interesting that historically speaking it stands to possibly reason that that actually wasn't how they did and so my don't coerce people into the kingdom and maybe love them into the kingdom made me feel a little better. I was like, well, you know, anyway, that's a really long diatribe to get to how, yes, the movie did make me wrestle a little bit with like, not and hear me what i'm not saying is how he should have just joined the the group. Oh, you yeah, know, no, joined of course. The, yeah. joined leaping about around the fire, but but i am such a person who believes what what and 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 maybe this is where you will sort of go with your theme. The movie sort of makes you wrestle with what do I believe is the appropriate way? Mm, you know what I mean? Right, like, like right. H- how are we supposed to engage with people? Because I'm with you, you know, Howie is ultimately a very sympathetic figure, not just because of what happens to him, but although that illustrates that in a very tangible way, but because of the backstory that is lent to his story, sure. Know, administering communion, administering the sacraments, uh, you know, I do think the performance comes off a little strong and brusque with just how defensive and abrasive he is about yeah. their wrongs. Very authoritative. So anyway, right. Yeah. Right. Y- yes. Yes. That's a good way to put it. Very authoritative in a way that like I, in my snowflake progressive ways, <laughs> uh, would be like, come on, man, you know, yeah. <laughs> lighten up a little bit. Anyway, that's a long diatribe to say, yeah, I didn't know the movie was going to torture and burn him to death. <laughs> Yeah, um, he didn't either. Um, yeah, I, I so hearkening back to something I said earlier. Uh, yeah, uh, that information that you found was was quite fascinating. The I said earlier that the film takes religious belief very seriously. I think I also said, if I didn't, I'll say it again here, or I'll say it right now, that Sergeant Howie does not take their religious belief very seriously. He sees it as abhorrent. He sees it as yes. abnormal. He sees it as so so he goes in, if we're studying this like a, a fictional character, you put on the literary hat for a second, he has a baseline belief, a baseline perception that everyone is fundamentally Christian, if, if only nominally. Right, right. Everybody's right. fundamentally Christian. So these people have clearly gone off the deep end. So he does not take them very seriously. He treats them as reprobate, apostate, heathens whatever you know whatever you want to uh whatever adjectives you want to pagan yeah pagan yeah yeah. and so he doesn't treat their religious beliefs very seriously somebody so so the supposed missing girl we know that she we know viewers of the film know that she's not really missing but when they still think that she is he she tells sergeant howie in a surprisingly like i don't know what her intentions are behind this quote but i wrote this quote down she says you'll simply never understand the true nature of sacrifice and she says it to him almost in this moment of dropping the facade. Like, I'm not going to be the, oh, we're happy people with the songs and dance and blah, blah, blah. Like, she looks at him and it's this almost biting little moment. And just that, you know, you'll simply never understand the true nature of sacrifice. It 
made me think that Howie's own confidence in his in his religious construct is his own undoing. The confidence that his construct yeah. is yeah. what his is is what his sword and sh- the sword and shield kind of idea. Like this right, is the way right. it's going to be, and 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 I'm just going to move through this. But he isn't undermined because they're simply stronger. He's undermined because he's blind to what's really going on. So he's hmm. so he's not the, the, one of the reasons I find the film so provocative and amazing is because he's not simply undermined by doing the good thing and simply being overpowered, you know, thrown to the lions right, as it were. Right. He blindly walks right into their trap. Blindly. Like they say at the yeah, end like yeah. you had to come here willingly. Like you had to come here right, of right. your own. So they led him into this into this place and in that sense they played on his they manipulated what they knew to be his religious construct and 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 deceived him into into that place so uh and what i love about the film is that the film although upon first viewing it would be tempting to say, well, the film's clearly saying that the pagans are right and Christianity's wrong because at the end, the Christian is burned alive and the pagans are dancing, sure. singing, expecting, <laughs> right. their, expecting their crops to come back. So, But I viewed the film now three times, and I can definitively say that I believe this. The film takes both religious beliefs very seriously, and I am convinced that the film does not tell which one of us, which one of the beliefs is correct. Because... Sergeant Howie makes a lot of exclamations at the end as he's being led to the wicker man. He makes a lot of exclamations. My favorite of which is he says to them, it is I who will be resurrected, not your damned apples. And wow. And and, and that, that statement like just bounced around in my head. Like the film doesn't say he's wrong. Obviously the film leaves with his death, but we don't know. And he even says, well, yeah, I I think, I think, and and my experience of the film, and again, you know, who knows exactly where uh, without (laughs) right now, let's pause everybody and go watch the movie again. Um, my experience of the film is this doesn't happen initially, but, but definitely by the end of the movie, you, you, you recognize the film takes him very seriously. Yes. And, and and what, what he's again, you know, at, at the outset, he's got a bit of a bumbling kind of nature to him, but by the end of it, it's, it's very clear you are meant to be respectful of, of what he is going through and what he is experiencing and, and, and how he copes and deals with that experience. Yes. Because he's, you know, you know, he's praying, he's preaching. He's yeah. It's very sincere right up to the end. There are a couple of different, uh, synapses firing here. One, it does make me think of, I think it was the Turkle reference. We made a couple about a month ago now about ignoring history at our own peril, you know, right. Uh, when right. you, when you ignore the history of a scenario, all you end up with is killing the terrorist mm. basically mm. in a nutshell saying demonstrative, decisive declarative action has to happen because you're ignoring a lot of richness underneath the surface right. to know how to proceed. And it is interesting. I mean, this, it makes me think of, you know, uh, uh, American expansion and democratizing the Middle East. And you're like, what do you mean? It doesn't work there. Mm. Well, you're ignoring what's really going on. It's, it's your statement of how he wa- blindly walks into this trap. Sure. Like, yes, like, like you, he, he sort of, we empathize with him, but he's sort of got himself to blame. Ab- no, know, no like, question. Like, right. Right. Um, and, and the ways in which we, in our authority, 
good use of that word earlier on your part and in in our authority and our attempts to exercise authority over those whom who who we believe don't see the world the way we do mm-hmm. man we we step on the landmine oh yes oh yes you know and it's it makes me think Reed, of like did you ever see this is a random in, interlude here but did you ever see the movie whale rider no i know of it but i never saw it well it's beautiful and 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 definitely worth your time but I saw it about 14 years ago and it was at a particular moment in time and, and, and the, the things that conjured for me, but it's about this kind of Maori tribe, you know, I think in New Zealand perhaps and about their traditions and history. And, Hmm. you know, uh, it's, it's almost like a live action Moana, but the the idea of this female is going to inherit the mantle of kind of chief or whatnot. It's been years since I've watched it, but the point I'm trying to make is when I watched it, it challenged me because I thought I respect those people. Yeah. Yeah. And that is a real culture. And I don't quite know how to gel what I believe at this. Again, this is as a, as a naive young 20 something, I don't know how to reconcile what I believe about God and Jesus. And, and at that point in time, you know, the, the saving of the world with the culture that I view that I think is lovely and beautiful. Mm. And so what I think is fascinating about a movie like this is in a very different way. It asks a similar question. Now this movie ends and this, this is why I felt like the wicker man historical discovery was pertinent because you can ultimately make the case. Well, they are wrong. Right. They right. Right. Kill, kill, kill people as part of their tradition and ritual. Sure. Sure. But if you sort of set that component aside, there is still this interaction of cultures, right? Yes. Like, yes. If, if we are able, and, and I recognize it's a tall order, um, if we're able to set aside exactly what happens at the end, you're still dealing with culture clash. And for those of us who are faithful followers of Jesus and want to be faithful to his presence in the world and how we make that known, it should be a constant question and ask game on our in our own spirit. Yeah. How do we respect the ways of others around us, mm. even the ways of others whom we don't really agree with? Right, right. How, how do we maintain respectfulness towards them in a way that helps them be drawn to us, to the Christ in us? Is, is this making sense at oh, all? Oh, very, very much so. I'm a, I'm as a, a yeah. as opposed to wielding the sword of the spirit in an authoritative manner, you sinner pagans. Like, right? It just right. doesn't. <laughs> this is a super random insert here, and apologies for anyone who is like really into this. It reminds me of apologetics. Like, hmm. apologetics is just not going to work. It hmm. does not do what you have been told that it does, which is you can just argue people into faith. Like, you hmm. can just bludgeon them with facts and academia until they're like, Oh, you know what? You're right. Like hmm. it is, it is the kindness of the Lord that draws people to him. Right. That's and kindness yeah. is not kindness is not demonstrated in bludgeoning. Yes. Anyway, I, I know it's a rand. I, I, I don't know exactly the point I'm trying to land on. I'm just trying to converse. Well, let me, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let me, let me, let me respond. <laughs> I to would it. like to point out too, before you respond that I am a person of various thought, 
processes, and I started this episode with utterly ridiculous and asinine uh, pseudo-sexual innuendo, and am landing it in a very substantive <laughs> theologi- theological fashion, okay? <laughs> wow. Wow. Um, so, I have a few different responses. The, the, yeah. the, the first one that I want to say, just to, to, to caveat, to nuance, I have a, a, a dear friend who I don't think listens to the show, um, and we don't keep as much in touch anymore, but we're still Facebook friends, occasionally interact, um, who actually came to faith in Christ because of apologetics, specifically because of apologetics. Um, sure. So just to nuance. Or, I knew I knew I knew that was a real broad brush. I understand yeah. that. I was, um, you know. But but what I will say that I wholeheartedly agree with is it wasn't by browbeating. It was simple, humble, intellectual engagement. Sure. Sure. With 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 the the brand of apologetics that is simply let's ask the questions and let's find the answers. So so not of the I'm going to argue you into a corner so you have no choice. But, you know, the the sort of uh, right, uh, right for lack of a better, more more at hand example, sort of the God's not dead model. I'm going to argue you into an utter right point of right. infallibility and then you'll yes. have no choice. Yes. Um, no, he didn't. To, from my understanding, it wasn't of that nature that he came to faith in Christ, but it was. And he would say in his recitings of testimony, it was apologetics that brought him in. So he's very passionate about the subject. But. One of the things that it made me think of, you said, and I forget, there's a little bit of distance behind this exact statement you made, so forgive me if I get the words wrong, but you said um, about like how do we engage with, with, with non-believers or with people of other faiths in a, in a serious and, and respectful manner. Uh, it brought to mind, and I can't remember if we referenced this on the show or not, but if we haven't, I'm going to say it here. If we have, then I'm going to say it again because it bears repeating. The story from Acts chapter 17 of Paul going to Athens. Do you recall this story at all? Do you know this? I don't. So he went there and in verse 22 of Acts chapter 17, Paul has been in Athens for a while. This is Acts chapter 17, verse 22. It says, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For I, as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but then Paul proceeds to share the gospel with them and refers to the statue to the unknown God as as God, right, God right. Almighty. And right. so, so what that uh, there's a variety of different places the conversation could go from there. And I have one other scripture to bring in, so I'll keep this brief. But in that moment that that creates for me a kind of a template of he engages with them on their terms, not on his. Yes. yes he engages with yes. them of like, hey, so I see you're a very religious people versus when Sergeant right. Howie balks at Summer Isle, when Summer Isle says we're a very religious people. He said religious. You don't have a you don't have a church. Right. You don't have priests. Yep. You don't have any of this. You're not religious because there's only one brand of religion in Sergeant Howie's construct that is valid, authentic or viable. And that is the Christian right. faith. Now, again, not getting too far down this line, Sergeant Howie is very devout, and his devotion comes to full fruition even in his death, even in his martyrdom. Sure, but sure. Uh, I mentioned this to you uh, when we were just sort of briefly chatting before, you know, off pod. This exchange, good lord, uh, I could I could probably hang a lantern on. This is why I love this film. Is this exchange right here? Sergeant Howie looks at Summer Isle. And he says, I believe in the life eternal as promised to us by our Lord Jesus Christ. This is after the curtain has been pulled away. And he says, he declares in this moment, you're about to kill me, but I believe in the life eternal as promised by our Lord Jesus Christ. To which Lord Summerisle says something that 
it reverberates around in every part of my being. He says, that's good. For believing what you do, we confer upon you a rare gift these days, a martyr's death. And that sure. like sure. chills me to the bone because he's like, right. he's like, that's good. And then he even says, Summerisle says to him with no mockery in his voice at all. He says, you will not only have life eternal, but you will sit with the saints among the elect. Come, it is time to keep your appointment with the wicker man. I mean, chills all you know up and down you know my body. Oh my gosh! You know what's fascinating about that is in this conversation about uh, respecting a different culture while utilizing it to advance your own ideology. That's what Summerall does, exactly right? Exactly what Summerall does. Yes, he in a, in a way that Howie never ever does. That's, I mean, Summerall says. I, I know how you guys operate and I'm going to use the way you operate to advance my ends. Yes. And it's all yes. good. It's all good. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. wow. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and it's, it's provocative. It's haunting because I think that's the real, that, that's the real downfall of Sergeant Howie in that moment is that he does not take the Summer Isle religion as seriously as they take his. Yes. Yes. And they take his very seriously. And, and you know, good Lord, there's a dozen different scriptures that I could bring in here. I don't have this one looked up, but, you know, the scripture that references where uh, even the devil quotes scripture for his own purposes. Like, the devil knows the right. Bible better than you do. Like, he knows it. He, kn- he knows it backwards, forwards, up and down to the degree that he can, you know, in the Garden of Eden narrative, he can stand there and use God's own commandments against God's people. And make them right. eat the fruit right. and make and, and deceive them. So this, the, it's funny. The scripture verse that I did intend to bring in, which I'll bring in now as we sort of eyeball the landing. Um, Matthew chapter 10 and verse 16. It's Christ speaking to his disciples the first time they were going to go out. And he says, behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. And it, it's it's interesting. It's It's a. I say this not dismissively of our Lord's words, but it's a clever turn of phrase, wise as serpents, but innocent as doves. But when we think about that, I think that we we too frequently want to charge into the midst of the wolves. We want to charge into the mid. We want to take that initiative and say, we're going to charge into the midst of the wolves. And like Daniel in the lion's dens, the mouths are going to be shut. No harm will come to us. Nothing bad will happen to us. There's no way. But that's not what I interpret as Christ's advice there. I think Christ's advice is right. you're in the midst of wolves. Be cautious. Be wise. <laughs> like you're amidst wolves. And, and so I think right. I think he's telling them, he's like, hold fast to your faith. Don't be deceitful. Don't be manipulative. Don't be all these other things. Sure, sure. But also don't be foolish. Don't, we've, we've talked many times right. on this show about even when we talk about being bold in your faith, making bold decisions, we don't advocate recklessness. Like we don't we don't sure, advocate sure. just ca- throw caution to the wind and whatever. That's never been something even as passionate as we'll sometimes get about sociopolitical issues. That's never something that I think you or I are ever framed towards of like, just be reckless with your life. That's not at all our framework. Right, right. And for all of his potential virtues, Sergeant Howie is unquestionably undiscerning and reckless with with his sure. engagement with this these people and with this story right um, right and it and it costs him his life it costs him everything sure the only thing he has in the end is he's he begs god in a heartbreaking moment he begs god you know i i he hasn't he says he's unshriven he hasn't been able to go through and like last rites and he hasn't been able to confess and all these right. other things but he's like please 
em- embrace me with the with the warmth of Christ Jesus because he knows like he's not, he's not getting out of this like there's no right, way right. Th- th- this is the end for him this he he could not command them into repentance he could not invoke in them any fear of the god that he serves and believes in uh so so this is the end for him and it is a it is a cautionary tale to each and every one of us as we're engaging with the world around us as we're engaging with faith around us i think if i can put a real broad brush on something i think quite frankly those in the fundamentalist camp, those in the atheistic camp, and those in any variety of shades in between simply suffer from, we don't take this seriously anymore. We don't sure. take it seriously to the degree that belief, religious belief held by a person, whether they believe in God, do not believe in God, we we have to take that seriously. We have to take them seriously. I said as a passing comment to a friend, when I engage with somebody on Facebook, I try to actively have the presumption that they mean what they say. Right. And, th- right. and that they t- and that they take it seriously. Sure. So I'll right. engage your idea very seriously, which means if you're cavalier, if you're jokey, if you're real dismissive of this other thing, well, then we're not having the same conversation. Doesn't mean I'm smarter sure. than you or better than you, but we're not having the same conversation. Because if you want to come to me with an atheistic perspective, I'm going to treat it seriously. We're going to talk about it. We're going to dialogue right, about right, it. Right, I'm right. not going to be dismissive or, as to the best of my ability, not be insulting of you in that. We're going to talk about it seriously. But when we, as believers, engage with other people in the same sort of authoritative or dismissive air that Sergeant Howie does, we do so at our peril. Because sure. if we really believe this, then we have to recognize that other people have as deep a devotion to their beliefs and to their faith as we do to ours. And even though, like, lest I get too far afield of it, like, I'm a, I'm a Christian. So I, I'm a Christian because I believe Christianity is true. <laughs> like, that's fundamentally what it is. But if I believe it's true, then I have to take it seriously. And I have to examine my heart. I have to examine my beliefs. And when other people approach me with a different belief, with a different perspective, I have to treat them seriously. And I have to take them sure. as if they've done the work. And then we, then we can have a conversation. That's why I love that scene between Summer Isle and Howie. Then we can, we can have a dialogue. And we may not walk away with me converting you. Very likely not going to walk away with you converting me. And we may, not, we may not see anything but that dreaded agree-to-disagree statement. But at least we can have a conversation, a, a, a collision of the beliefs in which both are perhaps more entrenched and more deepened and more enriched by having the conversation. So anyway, that's, that's my sermonizing soapbox as it were. Um, yeah, I dig it. (laughs) I dig it. So, um, I, I don't think I had anything else real, real burning or passionate to say. Just, just take, take belief seriously. Like take it, Take it seriously. Don't whether you're sitting as most of our listeners do in the Christian camp, Take opposing beliefs seriously. We have at least a handful of listeners who are not believers. Take beliefs well, I think, seriously. I think it's I think it's such a a perilous moment in our kind of culture where, and uh, you know, pot kettle black here. So I'm I'm respectful of of the dissonance sometimes, but um, it's so easy to paint with such a broad brush and just dismiss whole swaths of people simply because a you don't understand where they're coming from and thus have decided you do know what, where they're coming from and just ignore it. Right. Or decide it's not valid. Right. When it's really rooted when it's really rooted in your own ignorance, perhaps, or 
you think too highly of yourself. You know, I mean, it's right, just such a right. catch 22. And uh, yeah. So, I mean, and we're all guilty of some version of this, but sure. I, I think if, I think if Christ's love is for all, that means, <laughs> that means for all. And, and what the, and the implications of that are, you may be at a different leg of the journey than I am, but we're still both on a path and, yes. and, and I'm, I'm curious how you got where you are on your path. I'm curious where you feel like you're going and hopefully likewise. Um, I don't know. I just, I just think validating what you're saying. Like we, we, we skirt dangerously close to sort of disrespecting the work of Jesus himself. Right. If we, if we just dismiss folks because they don't believe the way we do. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. I think that's a, a nice, a bow to wrap on this conversation and, uh, you know, stepping out of the heavy and substantive and going right into uh, something a lot more trivial and silly. You want to bring in old David David <laughs> So um, as we do for, for every film, we rate this on a metric of David S. Pumpkins, our own particular metric. Uh, we look at three categories, that of style, scares, and substance. Uh, David S. Pumpkins being the Tom Hanks Saturday Night Live character. Y- if you listen to the show, you know who he is by now. Um, but uh, <laughs> so, uh, so Nathan, wh- what would you give Wicker Man for its overall style? I mean, I was just like, again, the, the, the ending does kind of is a bit of a fly in the ointment, not because I don't think it works for the movie, just because it is such a shift. Um, right. But I was so swept up in it in, in the vibe. Um, <laughs> I, I, I might, I think I'm going to give it a four. All right. All right. I, um, have uh, a substantive adoration and affection for this film. It's a five for me. I don't even know if you've listened to me for the last 20 minutes, you know why it's a five. So I don't need to caveat it anymore. It's uh, yeah, right. it's a five for me for scares. The, the film is very provocative and it has, it has surprising number of little uh, unsettling, unnerving moments. Uh, but I think I'm going to land on like a three and a half for scares uh, for me, dude, it's been forever since we've done halves. So I forgot that was even a thing. <laughs> um, yeah, scares. I would give it a two. I don't. I don't. I mean, again, those moments are a little creepy, but on the whole, it's more of just a an intriguing sort of story. Sure. Than it is oh, to yeah. Me. It's kind of scary. Yeah. Um, well, where would you go with it for substance? I mean, I think uh, I, I think I'm going to be generous on substance because I recognize that in a first viewing, there's there's a lot sort of spilling over the edges um, that I think another viewing would really help, kind of coalesce into something real real coherent if you will so i i I think i would probably land at a three and a half for substance maybe a four if i'm being feeling real generous i'm gonna be generous and give it a four all right um okay so i am gonna give i mean this is gonna come as a surprise to no one it's a five for me for substance um i feel like it's that you'll you'll if anybody's listened to me for any degree of time, you will know that I respond very strongly to films that take religious beliefs seriously. No matter where the narrative lands or where it ends, if it takes belief seriously, then I then I respond very strongly to that. So I probably have no choice but to give it a five, um, which lands us at a whopping eight out of ten. David S. Pumpkins for good old The Wicker Man, which is 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 a solid showing. It's a strong showing for The Wicker Man. Um, if if you 
the listener have never seen this film, then uh, we've obviously spoiled the biggest element of it. But I don't know. Maybe that'll help the viewing of it. Maybe that'll maybe that'll be something that you'll be kind of prepared and be able to watch, you know, knowing where it's going. You'll be able to sort of connect with some things a little bit more early on. Um, but if you have seen the film uh, or if you have any thoughts on the film or what we've said, then you should uh, reach out to us and you can do so in a variety of ways because the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but it is not the end of the conversation. You can reach out to us most accessibly through Twitter. Nathan, what is our Twitter handle? At the fear of God. You can also follow me on Twitter at Reed Lackey. Nathan, where can they find you on Twitter besides the fear of God? At the Nathan Rouse. And then you can also visit us on Facebook. There's a link to that through Twitter. You can comment on our posts or like one of our posts or post there yourself. Um, You can also go to morethanonelesson.com, leave a comment on the official posting for this episode or any of our other episodes. You could also email Email us, fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from each and every one of you. You could also, if you listen to us through iTunes, leave us an iTunes review. We haven't had one in a while, and we'd be very appreciative of one. Um, but yeah, Nathan, thanks Great. thanks for frolicking, dancing over the fire with me. with this. Uh, with <laughs> Always, this, <laughs> friend. With this movie. You know, all you had to do was ask. <laughs> um, I'm, just, I'm just glad your natural state isn't turquoise. Oh, so, yeah. yes. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so, uh, <laughs> listeners, go ahead and uh, check out social media to see where we're going to be heading next week. And, uh, and Nathan, yeah, as always, thanks for having this conversation with me. And, and uh, yeah, for, for everything. No problem, man. We'll see you next week, guys. Bye. And on that bed, there was a girl. And on that girl, there was a man. And from that man, there was a seed. And from that seed, there was a boy. And from that boy, there was a man. And from that man, there was a grave. And from that grave, what the maypole represents and because you know what guys i had such a good time with this movie i've got a bunch of other things that reed is likely doing right now anyway and so i did i did want to let her i did want to let everybody know that uh reed in his natural state (laughs) i've got so many of these um Reed in his natural state isn't turquoise, just in case anybody was curious. Um, it, it, it isn't. And, uh, so, so, and also, also, he often finds himself <laughs> getting in mischievous scenarios. And so. <laughs> Another thing, uh, Reed, he, he, he gets himself in trouble sometimes. I'm like, dude, just figure out a way to stop getting in trouble. And, and he did. And he said he was going to do some sort of, some sort of ritual to be protected by the ejaculation of serpents. I don't know what on earth that means, but it, it has, it, it, <laughs> and I, Usually, <laughs> um, oh my god, that's getting cut. <laughs> You're gonna take that again because that's getting cut. <laughs> oh my goodness, <laughs> you picked the movie. <laughs>